Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Rupert Wong, Cannibal Chef by Cassandra Kaw, Hench by Natalie Zena Walchutz, and Always Near by Afre. And welcome to episode 86, 9 to 5, open brackets, what a way to make a living, close brackets. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. I, I thought the brackets were very important. Uh, I'm Alex, and when I was a child, I wanted to be a candy shop owner when I grew up. I'm Freya, and I wanted to be a million things, but most prominently, I wanted to be a meteorologist when mm. I grew up. I'm Macy. I have a terrible memory, and I could not figure out what I wanted to be, but I've remembered now. I wanted to be a cryptid who lived in the woods and scared people. I love that for you. Excellent. I love that for you. I feel like you have grown to embody that energy. Like you might not. I feel like that's still that's still, still you. An attainable career goal. Yeah, yeah. Like you may you might not have like reached the professional level for it. Like you haven't figured out how to make people pay you to be a cryptid in the woods, but you're definitely rocking it as a hobbyist. Yeah. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today, if we can manage to get our shit together, we're supposedly going to be talking about careers in in fiction, both the fantastical careers and also like the super normal careers in fantastical settings, uh, which are one of my favorite things, honestly. But before we get into all of that, what? We're going to be talking about goblins with gerbs. Before we get into all that, (laughs) what the fuck are we reading, fellow servants? (laughs) Well, I read three books that do involve interesting careers. So first of all, I got my hands on a copy of A Master of Gin by P. Jelly Clark. And this is the first novel in his steampunk Cairo investigation series, of which mm. there exists a short story and a novella. And this follows Fatma, who is an incredible dapper lesbian who wears amazing suits and works as a supernatural investigator as she tries to uncover a plot and solve some murders. It has wonderful, wonderful world building. I thought that the pacing was maybe not quite as good as it is in the novellas, but still thoroughly enjoyed it. I also read, speaking of investigatory lesbians, How to Find a Princess, which is Alyssa Cole's Mm. new romance about an investigator for an international society of monarchies, sort of, who is tasked with the Anastasia-like endeavor (laughs) of finding a missing princess from a royal family. And so she... Will any princess do? No, specific princess. Specific princess. But it's very important to her that she find this princess in order to clear something that's happened with her family name and her family history. Oh. She finds the princess. She The princess is not interested in being a princess. She manages to wrangle the princess onto a boat. And then there is <laughs> romance on the high seas. It's really fun. I did like we that. We do love this for you. Uh, and I also read Hollow Empire, which is the second mm. book in the Poison War duology by Sam Hawke. I feel like I don't talk about this series enough. It is an incredible high fantasy series. And the two protagonists are members of a family whose career is to be the secret poison tasters who protect the royal family. And mm. they're best friends with the current chancellor. And this is the sequel book, obviously, so it doesn't make a lot of sense if you haven't read the first. But it's just a th- Thoroughly enjoyable, really interesting world building, 
kind of fantasy novel. And I really admire the way Sam does mystery. It's like they're mm. structured mm-hmm. around a, the first one is not so much a who done it as a who sieged it because they are stuck yes. in a siege. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the second one is more looking into who was the person responsible for the, the siege in the first book and mm. why are people dying. And there's a lot of political intrigue and it flicks back and forth between the two points of view of the siblings in a really effective mm-hmm. way that keeps you turning pages. So I definitely recommended that. Yeah, Sam uh, is just such such a good writer. and like, Yeah, it's just really impressively structured. Go buy her books, dear listeners. Go on. Yes. Stop the podcast. Go buy her books. <laughs> Meanwhile, I read The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazi last week, which is a middle grade fantasy romp uh, in which a young Muslim girl's brother gets kind of lost and sucked into a board game that she's playing with two of her friends mm. and they have to go on a quest to get him back. Uh, it's very kind of Jumanji-ish. Yeah. Um, and like... The brother is extremely annoying, but he is also still her brother, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, very uh, labyrinth-like. Yep, 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 yep. And I also read last week because my girlfriend said it was a gothic, which Freya is now allowed to object to if she wants. I read Piranesi. No, Piranesi mm. is a gothic. I agree. Is it? It has enough gothic tropes that I think you could mm. make the argument. It's about living in a strange house and it's being a gothic. gaslit. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's a gothic. That's okay, literally yeah. a gothic. <laughs> anyway, I, I finished this book and I sat there and I stared at the wall for literally 10 minutes. And then I was like, I cannot write an email to my agent that just says, what do I have to do in my career to be allowed to write books like this? I know. It's amazing. I think you have to write Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And then... First. And mm. then people will let you do whatever. <laughs> it's like... A uh, 80,000 word meander through some sceneries and statues. And is there a plot? I mean, in the no. same Nisi way that the ones that. who walk away from Omalas has a plot, which is to say, no. Not really. There's not a plot. No. That's Nisi's entire jam. It's an 80,000 word vibe. Uh, That's what the book is. It's such a vibe. <laughs> it's such a vibe. And I'm really jealous. I was, I was so jealous. I was a split second away from taking a sip of my drink. And I'm so glad that I delayed. I'm just going to sit here and make horrid noises. And then, of course, I couldn't read anything else that week. So I read a 150,000 word Naruto fanfic called Hiding in the Leaves, which is literally a 150,000 word training montage. They do nothing else other than be trained. Uh, It's great. It's very relaxing. That's amazing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Orochimaru never goes evil and instead he hangs around and trains children. And it's great. I love that for him. I don't know who he is, but I love that for him He's and also an for you. He's an evil snake boy. You would like him a lot. He cross-dresses. For, like, he looks very pretty. I love him already. Um, <laughs> I have had the worst week, dear listeners. I have had a horrible, dreadful, no good week of drama. I have been doing so many things. I cleaned my house for a total of 18 hours over the course of two days. Uh, there is some roommate drama going on to wit the person who was supposed to move into my house randomly decided that he wasn't going to be moving into my house and now I'm scrambling to find a new roommate pour one out for Alex pour one out for Alex yes uh, Alex is going through it 
uh, and so has not read anything. However, uh, a darling listener did send us an email of some wonderful Ooh. recs for new Chinese dramas, and I checked a couple of them out. One of them, I watched two episodes, and I immediately slid into Macy's DMs, and I'm like, Macy, this is the show for you. I know you. Uh-huh. I know you've been having some trouble watching things and like focusing on visual things lately. So here is a show that is 15 episodes long. Each episode is four minutes long, and it's very gay and about lesbians. This is pretty much exactly the pitch that I got. Yep. Yes. And I do intend to watch it. It's just you pitched it two days ago and I've not managed right. to that's, think that's fine. since. Uh, it's called Legend of Yunqian and uh, it's very cute. It is mostly just a vehicle for the soft, like, domestic tropes. Uh, so highly recommend. That's legit. Yeah. Uh, it's about a modern girl who gets, like, transported through time back into, like, ancient cultivator times, and she's, like, in love with her sect leader, as one does. Of course, uh, of course. And then the, <laughs> the other one that I have dabbled my toes into, I've only seen, like, two episodes of it, it's also about a girl who gets transported back in time to the Qing Dynasty, um, and it's, I am told that it's going to be kind of a reverse harem situation where like she's this spunky girl who like collects a lot of men who are like wildly in love with her there are like six men who are in love with her by the end of episode like two (laughs) so i would say that that's accurate Uh, that's efficient that's efficient work it's called it's called scarlet heart and the other thing that is uh endearing it to me very quickly is that the main character's name is roshi uh and i'm like oh (laughs) i love people named roshi (laughs) Um, anyway, so that's what I have been consuming. Shall we yes. have an episode? Uh, oh, yes. no, we have to have some news. We have some news before some we have to we share. have an episode. Freya? Freya has some Freya. news. Yes, I am dun, dun, dun. absolutely thrilled to announce that we have sold the Commonwealth rights for my trilogy. Yay. Hurrah! So Yay. My book, which means it will be on shelves that you can see. Yes, it will not just yes. be in North American shelves. It will be on <laughs> shelves that are local to the author. So my trilogy was bought by Tor UK, which means that Mm. Tor UK will be the publisher in Commonwealth territories, whereas Tor.com publishing will be the publisher in North American territories. Mm -hmm. And luckily they are planning a simultaneous release, which means that it will be available everywhere on the same date, which is the 2nd of November, 2021. Mm. And I am... That's great. Like now, basically. Yeah. I feel like a, a second ago it was 2020 and now... Mm-hmm. It is almost the end of April, so probably tomorrow will be November. You know, amazing! Wow, amazing! I hate that. Let's do an episode instead. Let's do an episode. Uh, so the first tentpole that we get to tell you about, dear listeners, this episode is going to be about careers and and drama, and I gerbs. and gerbs and having a gerb <laughs> and the mortifying ordeal of having to have a gerb, a day job in. Uh, and, well, yeah, and being ground under the heel of capitalism. Capitalism. Fuck capitalism is the thing. Uh, this Don't you'll catch something. <laughs> this novel is called Hench by Natalie Zena uh, Walchutz. And it is about a uh, young woman, probably a millennial. She has a very millennial vibe uh, called, <laughs> called Anna. Uh, and she is a professional hench person. Uh, or just, they just call them henches in, in this world, uh, which means that she is an assistant to superheroes. It's basically like it's got all of your standard superhero tropes, uh, just like Marvel or whatever, except it's focused on the support staff for these superheroes. And she... Uh, well, for the villains. For the, for the villains, specifically, yes, the supervillains. I was kind of classifying supervillains as a subcategory of the broader super-powered people. Super-powered people, yes. (laughs) 
Uh, so she gets, uh, she's hired at, from a temp agency uh, for one of these supervillains. And in the uh, line of duty, she gets injured by basically the equivalent of Superman and starts mm-hmm. her villain origin story. Uh, <laughs> Which we love for her. We yes. do love that for her. And uh, I love watching like the clues and breadcrumbs of like her capacity for evil earlier in the book and you're like oh she's gonna turn out to be like a cool villain by the end and she does except (laughs) over the course of the book you also see her capacity for like how much she cares about people and so you're like Mm. oh you're not gonna be like a villain villain you're just like more of an antagonist to the superheroes so I super love this it had tons and tons of stuff about capitalism and jobs and the absolute wretched soul-crushing horror of having to eke out a living in capitalism. Good stuff, though. And also, like, a key component of her descent into villainy was America's lack of health care. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, that's a fucking... (laughs) It really was. Mm. And it is, on many levels, a wish-fulfillment story about what Mm -hmm. happens if your key skills and talents, so the things that you are actually very good at. In her case, it all begins because she starts a blog using spreadsheets about the actual cost of (laughs) superhero and supervillain, but mostly superhero activity when it comes to collateral damage to property and especially damage to people and the cost of their subsequent healthcare. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of it is based on real health economics. Which was yeah, wonderful like she uses to look at. she uses formulas that are based on like how to calculate the cost of a natural disaster. Yes, um, because like, and like the the point that this makes is that these superheroes basically are natural disasters, mm. and um, I think it does a really good job of like showing how jobs are like a lot of slow steady work over time rather than just like you have these magical powers and like you're as good as you're ever going to get and you don't like get to improve because she definitely likes improves her skills over time and forms relationships slowly and makes progress well and i think she also learns how to be a manager yes and also that her team yes I which think- is a mood for macy forming storming <laughs> norming and performing yes like, yes, the, I mean, yes that is the wish fulfillment aspect of this is yeah. that it's someone whose skills are recognized she is hired by somebody and put into a corporate structure that actually works the way corporate structures mm-hmm. are supposed to work mm-hmm. where she is given autonomy and creativity in order to fulfill her goals uh her creativity is valued her ideas are recognized she gets yes. to recruit yes. the right people for jobs and you read it and you're just like this is i somebody- want this for me yeah you- yeah you read it and you want it for you you think if one must exist in a capitalist hellscape This is a portrait of somebody desperately trying to create the kind of capitalist hellscape that they think they would actually enjoy existing. It's what jobs are supposed to be, but they never are. And you said said something really, really crucial, Freya, which about, like, it being a... um, a wish fulfillment fantasy and specifically mm. the wish fulfillment is about like being valued for your skills by someone who like actually wants to take care of you because at the beginning of the book her first temp employer when she gets injured he just like they send her a fruit basket and also a letter that says you're fired uh and <laughs> then like the next time later in the book spoilers for hench uh the next time later in the book when she gets kidnapped and she is in the process of being injured uh she gets rescued by her current employer who actually does like care about her and value her and want to like protect her yeah Yeah. and i mean like mega mega warnings for like 
extreme boundary violation uh-huh. around exactly how that healthcare goes down. Yep, mm. there's like some uh, medical trauma stuff. There's but, body horror. And uh, dear listeners, if you want to read this, it may be worth um, skipping a little bit ahead of this discussion and going and reading the book because I think it probably goes better unspoiled. Mm-hmm. And we'll try not to get too deep into it, but we might accidentally. Mm. Um, but there's um, there's a lot of stuff here around... She's out there on the internet just doing a thing because she wants to and it gets her headhunted into a job that's perfect for her. And I think that is the absolute pinnacle of why this is wish fulfillment Mm. because we all know that that doesn't actually happen. Right, yeah. right, but it's it it is the peak millennial fantasy. Mm. Yes, yes, right? yes. Yeah. But it but it doesn't take it without questioning. I think no, it definitely takes it and says, okay, well, here's the wish fulfillment, and then it says, well, okay, let's play this out a little bit more, and then it does start to look at some of the ways in which having a job in today's hellscape, even if it is a job that you enjoy and love, can start mm-hmm. to shred the rest of your life. So yep. she starts to over-identify to an extreme degree with the work she is doing and the person that she becomes is basically her job because it started as a passion project. And even though there is this wish fulfillment of my passion is now a well-paid job in a well-structured team, you see the effect that it has on her friendships and her ability to mm-hmm. live a life outside of it. And I think that's a very superhero slash supervillain thing where your job becomes your identity. Well, I think it reminded me a lot of an op-ed in the New York Times from April 7th um, titled, and I will say this without comment and then we will move on, titled, After working at Google, I'll never let myself love a job again. Hmm. And we will let the scribes link that and I will comment no further, lest I get myself in trouble. (laughs) Um, It is in the best interests of a corporation Mm. to make you love them when you work for them and it is never in your best interests to love them because they cannot love you back right mm. yes hr doesn't work for you etc etc yeah mm. and Beca- I had- basically the the thing that a corporation is asking for a corporation really really wants you to give them your fealty and it does not hold itself to return that fealty in any way mm. uh and that's fucked up And I had a dot point here about the ways in which this uh, narrative kind of follows some romance beats. Mm, And mm -hmm. it is a romance between Anna and her job, which near the end kind of blurs some boundaries and becomes a romance structured relationship between herself and the big bad villain that she works for. Because Who I love him. Oh, yeah. He's a great character. I love him. Because there is this sense of reciprocity. Yes, And the book never quite lands on one side or the other. It never says, actually, Anna is pouring her heart into this and it's not returned because you don't actually know because he is quite an opaque character. And Anna, by the end, is a relatively biased narrator. And I like that. I like that it remains quite ambiguous and muddy in terms of the extent to which she was right, capital R, right, to throw herself so wholeheartedly into this when she is actually Mm. reaping a lot of rewards. But it doesn't give you an easy answer, which I like. Yeah. It left a lot unsaid Mm. by the end. Um, And I think that I will read this dot point out of shame for myself (laughs) having written it in the first place, but it has big senpai noticed me energy. (laughs) And as the audience, you're sitting there going, that's not a good thing. (laughs) You do not want the evil overlord to notice you it's very stop Mm. take a look at your life yeah but at the same time because it is a villain origin story 
I think at a certain point you just have to sit back and go, well, yes, this is getting a bit dangerous and ridiculous and dark, but that's okay because it's, it is, even though it is questioning mm-hmm. superhero tropes and subverting superhero tropes and existing in that category of books which are about the side jobs that would be mm. necessary in a superhero world, on one level it is still a straightforward villain origin story. Yes, mm. yes. Mm-hmm. So basically, mm-hmm. in conclusion, if you enjoy the webcomic My Life as a Background Slytherin, or if you watch a <laughs> Avengers movie and see them like crashing into the side of, of buildings and go like, who is cleaning that up after them? The insurance <laughs> claims must be insane. Did you see, did you uh, see the this TikTok is about insurance? No. Yes. <gasps> it's so good. We should, we should link it. Yes, there is a the really TikTok good TikTok. about insurance. I'm sure that the scribes yes, will have a great job scribes. finding that. We love you. <laughs> it's a TikTok of somebody who works in uh, superhero damage insurance, who mm, is yeah. like it on the phone on Tumblr and, uh, and telling someone about the kind of things that they can offer them with, when they're... confiscates Captain America's shield and won't give it back till he starts paying the insurance claims. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. But we are nearly halfway through. We're 25 minutes into the episode. We should probably do a second tentpole. Let's do a second tentpole. This fic. Okay, so we spent a long while pawing through our collective memory of fanfics. Like, just fanfics in general, darling listeners. Looking for the epitome of take your fandom to work. Mm. And we were like, we know there's so many of them and we love them all. And can we remember them? We cannot remember a single fucking one that is not 50 million words long or not online anymore. So I suggested we do this, which is one of my favorite fanfics in one of my favorite pairings that is not super common, but has a few really amazing writers in that fandom. And this is Always Near by Afray, which is a rogue one Bayes Chirrut fic. Mm. And, you know, content warnings for Star Wars style slavery mm-hmm. um, and one character being very bad at being a sex slave. Very bad. Question mark. He can't comedy. convince any of them to have he can't sex with him. anyone to have sex with him. He manages so funny. it once and then the lady well, starts sort of. crying and telling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he's much better at being a monk than he is at being a, a, a courtesan. Schumann is not very good at being a quote-unquote host, but this is not a career because being a slave is not a career. Right. Being a sex worker is a valid career, yes. but consent is important and this is not that. Yep. Well, Schumann has the ability to protect himself, so to a degree. Anyway, Macy's getting sidetracked. This is about the... Notably ill-defined sci-fi career of space mercenary. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which we see all over the place, but we very rarely interact with at the level of like, my HR rep has given me a room on this spaceship that appears to be occupied and I cannot request that it become unoccupied or this other employee will get a bad performance review question mark and that might mean getting spaced because the huts that was my favorite line in the whole thing where he's like you leave the room he's like i come with the room you leave the room (laughs) this is my room (laughs) my my uh, this is i am furniture my favorite part might have been when chirrut is like well i did have a manager but then she died in a firefight and so now i'm dotted lines through events yes (laughs) 
<laughs> very, very good. Very funny. It it's has a very short fic. Very short but... fic, but it has this incredible sense of humor. And also it has this beautiful, like, sense of the longing. It's about the yearning. It's really yeah. about the yearning. Um, and I think that the the thing that was most, like, that this one was most tackling with jobs is about the ethics and about how, mm. like, when you are in a job and, like, you you have to be kind of conscious of power differentials with your coworkers as you are pursuing a romantic relationship because Baze is the, like the big obstacle for Baze in pursuing this romantic relationship is that he perceives a power di- difference between the two of them and um, wor- frames it as like, would an elder in the temple have an, a relationship like this with a, a novice would that be would that be appropriate and Chirrut immediately goes no that wouldn't and Baze goes that's why I can't have sex with you <laughs> yeah. it's like but I want you but to. I want to like, will you stop that <laughs> stop it very yeah. very funny I think yes. as well as that it's also on one level a story that compares a necessary career to mm-hmm. the past of a vocation so both of them yes. used to be yes. monks of uh, you know one form or another and there is a lot of direct comparison of their past lives with the situation that they find themselves in now uh and it's it's almost like a well that was like a childhood thing that got put away as far as Mm. Baze is concerned um and Chirrut obviously has a much more ongoing and complicated relationship with the kind of person that he is and his religion Right. Well, and here's the thing, and thinking back to the previous episode we, we just put up, uh, which is the destruction of the temple on Jada, for them, was an apocalypse. It yes. was the destruction of a way of life. Yes. And so they are out here in the universe basically as refugees, mm. in a sense, as fugitives. And so they are taking these marginal careers that are marginal in a very different way to our first tentpole, mm-hmm. but I think possibly in a fairly similar way to us third tentpole um and they're just making do as best they can and Baze, there's a point where Baze thinks to himself you know you could try to break out and rescue this slave from this imprisonment but you know he seems to be well treated he's fed he has somewhere warm to sleep he's not getting shot at i couldn't promise him that right hmm yeah. And so, yes, careers in which you have to risk your life, question mark. Mm. And right. it, does, it really does something that I think is a very fanfic technique, and that mm-hmm. centers a side character, not necessarily in a, like a canonical side character, but it centers a side role. Because mm. you can tell that Bayes has these offhand lines about, I spent a whole day on planet scooping ob- obnoxious hutlets out of danger. <laughs> Which is basically, like, that's very vivid of, like, what he spent his day doing. And you think, you know, mm. in the main story of Star Wars, that could have been, like, the good right. guys right. were shooting at the huts. And, you know, you, there would have been a tiny split-second frame of some poor mercenary trying to, like, scoop baby huts out of the way of the firefight. <laughs> And it says, okay, let's let's um, move the camera and let's look at that person's story. Because this is this sort of space mercenary thing is much more of an ensemble character role. So and it's because he's from he's from Rogue One, where it is a very ensemble kind of story. Right. But yeah, you're right. I will note here that none of your serpents have watched The Mandalorian. I have. Have I you spent does a it long do space time mercenary about the Mandalorian when we when we did um, when did you... in space sweepers? Yeah. Space sweepers. Okay. Yeah. 
Yes, you're right. I, I've told you already. I have no memory That's anywhere. Okay. Don't ask it's me to been, think. It's been a but, weird time. Okay, then, Freya. Mm-hmm. Comparison of being a space mercenary between the Mandalorian and this fic. Yes. So in the Mandalorian, it creates a structure for an episodic entertainment piece because there mm. are wide arcs within the season, but each episode is also a mission. And you could tell that... Who this- sets the missions? Pardon? Who sets the missions? Whoever will pay him. Does he have a project manager? Does he have a Kanban chart of missions and objectives <laughs> to fulfill? He, do they have to do project estimations? I think there are a couple of people who he can sort of go to and be like, have you got anything Amazing. for me? But a lot of it is just, shit, my spaceship broke again. Where is the nearest person who will throw money at me for solving a problem so I can fix mm-hmm. my spaceship? And I think in a different kind of story, then, you know, Baze's space mercenary adventures could also be the kind of entertainment that you mm-hmm. see on television. And this fic is the stuff that happens when he gets home and puts down his bag yep. Yep. <laughs> and is forced to interact with this very annoying sex slave who he really likes, but who refuses to do anything except sit there and banter with him. Yep. Yeah. And, and pray. pray and pray. pray. tune of bawdy songs. <laughs> oh, God, I love him. This is I a love lovely fic. I love this fic so much. Um, it's... It, they don't even have sex in it. No, they... Well, I mean, they... They don't touch. They don't have sexual touch. Anyway, it made me think a little bit of the Sorcerer of the Will Deeps as well mm. from the point of view of, like, what is it actually like to work as a mercenary? Mm. You know? Not just this this uh, heroic ideal of a, a man who sets out with a sword on a quest, which is not being a mercenary. Right. That's just being a man with a no, sword like, on a it's quest. It's in yes. the name, and I think we'll talk about this later on, but mercenary just says, mm-hmm. I will do what I am paid to do. That's it's, what the career it's is. It's like a temp, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is go. like a temp, actually. Yeah, a mercenary, a mercenary army is just like a very large body assigned by a temp, temp agency. Temps of sorts. <laughs> Speaking of people getting paid to do things. Yes. Or not. Or yes. not. All right. Our final tentpole is a and novella, that's... which I made these two read because I had very, very fond memories of it. And this is Rupert Wong, Cannibal Chef. By which is an amazing title. An amazing title, title by Cassandra mm-hmm. Kaur, which is a horror urban fantasy novella of which the titular Rupert Wong, his main day job is as a chef who cooks tourists mostly <laughs> question yeah. mark in, in Kuala Lumpur uh, and serves them up to his employee his, sorry his employer family who are we don't know their name they are wreathed in, in secrecy of some sort yes they are <laughs> some ghouls. kind ghouls. of creepy ghouls who appear in human form and they really just want to eat mostly people but also other beings and his job is to cook them in in, in interesting ways and serve them <laughs> Yes. So that's his day job, which is already a bit of a oh. weird career in and of itself. Uh, but his other role is the Seneschal of Kuala Lumpur, which essentially means he is a community liaison between all of the groups of supernatural beings and gods and ghosts and monsters, which he has to do as community service in order to try <laughs> and work off all of the sins that he developed when he was a mobster. And he knows he's going to go to hell. And the king of hell has said, well, if you spend your entire lifetime doing community service in the form of (laughs) wrangling all of these people who 
mostly want to eat one another or kill you or generally just be dangerous, uh, then you can or, like, work off. Ride around on your back as a ghost and slowly become absorbed <laughs> into your body. <laughs> There's a lot of really cool horror in this one. I think Cassandra Core is an incredible writer of horror. Really good focus on the senses and on the body. And obviously, even though Rupert doesn't do a great deal of cooking in the novella, like most of it is actually focused on a mystery he has to solve in his role as a community liaison. Mm. The fact that you know that he does this and his focus through his point of view is a lot on tastes and senses and (laughs) ingredients per se makes it very atmospheric and very voicey Mm -hmm. in a way that I really Mm. enjoyed oh yeah Cassandra Ka just has like an amazing amazing gift for voice like I read her words and even if like I'm not really into horror but I just like rub this book on my face because the words (laughs) just feel so good Uh, mm. I can't. I can't. It's just. It doesn't even answer whether he's a cannibal chef in the. Like, does he? I don't, no, I don't eat? think. No, I don't I think, think he, he must eats taste. people. Taste? Because oh. that's how being a chef works. Maybe he does. T- well, it's different from being a cannibal. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Alex! There's he's like basically there's being a professional cannibal and then there's being a professional him? chef. <laughs> it's really very simple. I mean, okay, so which of those is Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> Hannibal, I was going to say, Hannibal... Hannibal Lecter is an amateur cannibal chef. It's not his job. It's but his hobby. the people who he feeds people, the people to, are still cannibals. Yes. Even though they didn't mean to. Okay. I so, feel like we're getting off topic here. Wrong. Professional cannibal chef. Hannibal Lecter, amateur hobbyist cannibal chef. Anyway. Professional anyway, cannibal, amateur Rupert chef. Wong, Rupert Wong. Rupert Wong. Cannibal, or chef of humans, and also murderer of them. I don't think that he got, he doesn't get given them dead. He goes out and finds them and kills I'm them. I'm assuming so. Them. Yes, because he's talking about like hunting down the right kinds of meat. And anyway, mm. but is yeah. But it's true that the focus is more on the private investigator side of things here. And I wanted to bring this up as a good example of what this book does. And it's something that you see quite commonly in books that are procedural or mystery structured, Mm. which means that your career is often one that will then lend itself to you stumbling across a mystery and being tasked with the responsibility of solving it. Mm. And so I think depending on the genre, PI stories come out of either a odd career, so somebody who has a different career and becomes an investigator, or somebody who's for whom investigation is their job. So Jessica Jones is like the PI of that particular area of superheroes. Uh, October Day in Sean Maguire's urban fantasy series is also kind of a liaison between the human and the fae worlds mm-hmm. and mm. is a private investigator. And so plot happens because mysteries happen and the main character is tasked with solving them. Which mm, is kind of like uh, Lost Girl as well, right? Does that sort of thing mm. with Bo, who ends up in that sort of role between worlds. Mm. Mm. And so PI, mm. even if it's accidentally, is a very good career <laughs> for a protagonist because it means trouble will find you. You don't have to go yep. out and find the plot. The plot will walk in your door with legs up to here and say, I was about to say. For me. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, I'm fairly sure that the plot smashes into this into Rupert's back room in a form that has no legs. Yes. Right, it has too many legs. <laughs> mm. But this, but he doesn't choose to be a community right, liaison. Right. He doesn't choose to solve mysteries. He would quite like to just be a chef and then come home to his undead wife and undead creepy fetus baby. 
<laughs> which eats people also. But he didn't. <laughs> but he then has this role thrust upon him by circumstance. Right, right. It's another example of you know the you don't choose your job. You're just trying to make the best of the shit that life has thrown at you. Right, yes. because capitalism. And, <laughs> and I was trying to think. You know, does anybody in Specfic choose their career? Do protagonists ever get to choose their careers? Well, I think that's probably a good segue into the thing about taxonomy. But would you like? Did you have anything else about? Ye- well, I did add? actually, because this was actually a different mm, thing, yeah. which was, I. it made me think of the Max Gladstone books. Yes. Um, because Three Parts Dead and all the rest, where, so dear listeners, this is not precisely actually an episode about careers. This is an episode specifically about speculative careers, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of our focus here. Not just jobs, but jobs that are Magic jobs. sci-fi or fantasy yeah. or horror in some way. Yeah. Yes. And Max Gladstone has necromantic lawyers. So fucking good. As the protagonist of Three Parts Love Dead. It. And the other books in that series also have like these clearly highly driven, highly competitive. These are the type of people who become senior engineers at Google. Yeah. But their career of choice is necromantic lawyer. Yes. Good for yes. them. Yes. And yes. it's great. And it's kind of like uh, Ridkily, you know? Yes. In this world. Yeah. Mm. I think, but- like, as soon as you ask the question, like, do are there any protagonists who get to choose their job? The the answer that immediately came to mind was the old saying that, or some people are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness and thrust some upon have greatness them. Thrust upon them. Yeah, and that's a dick joke for reference. It is um, a dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, taxonomies. Yes, yeah, taxonomies. taxonomies. It's been a while. Macy has a taxonomy mm-hmm. about jobs in these types of books, which is there are some weird careers that are unique to your world building, like being a cannibal chef. Mm -hmm. This is something that happens if you have powerful mob boss ghouls who want to eat people but don't want to be bothered in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. You're going to need a cannibal chef. It's just logic. And then there are careers that are totally normal, everyday, reasonable careers that you expect to be happening that are made weird by your world building. Like being like a data being analyst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a world where there are superheroes. <laughs> yes. Or it's like, who is who is the maid servant in, you know, whatever fantasy gothic creepy house you're in. Right. In Mexican gothic, who is now like a zombie maid servant question mark. That wasn't her fault. She just wanted to clean things and have somewhere to live. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't well, know my, about my mushrooms. Favorite, my favorite creepy monster maid servant is the one that's in the... Um, Rivers of London series. Oh, the one I who love lives at the her. Folly. The vampire. Yeah, the vampire who lives at the Folly and like acts kind yeah. of as a maid. But also, you know. Molly, I believe. Yeah, Molly. She... But also, you know, could kill you. <laughs> could kill you. Opens her mouth and just, it just keeps just teeth. opening like a just, snake. Just yeah. teeth, teeth. <laughs> we love her. Uh, well, I think I had a couple of other, not necessarily taxonomies, but axes. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I also want us to talk a little bit, though, uh, and we can do that as we go through yours as well, Mm. about what does this bring to a story? How is it different? Right. Mm, Okay. Well, all right. Well, how about I do my axes and then at the end we can talk about what types of places on these axes and what types of careers make good story. So I think if you're talking about careers in fiction, you have an idea of calling versus occupation. So something Mm -hmm. that you chose to do because you love it and have a gift for it mm-hmm. versus something that you are doing because of the capitalist hellscape and you just needs to get paid. And in a book or in any kind of media with a story, there's this idea of mm. a pre-existing career versus a plot thrust career. 
So something that you go, mm, you start the story as a lawyer or as a data analyst or something like that, or something that you develop your career or have the career thrust upon you or discover it throughout the course of the narrative. Right. And it's kind of like what we talk about with the battle scenes where either is this the point and is it something that you have agency over and that will shift over the course of a book or is it the scene setting? Is it just the stage on which the action happens? Yes. Right. And, and is it actually relevant to the plot or is it just, oh, yes, well, I work as a barmaid and now some plot has come in the door or, you know, is the barmaiding actually going to be relevant to the narrative later on? And I think for me, I, I like it when somebody has a career that there has been some element of choice. And it's related mm -hmm. to why we like characters who have agency. I like it when characters get to start off with having made some clear decisions based on their actual skills and decisions. Right, but right. quite often you don't see that because a character often starts in a place of unhappiness or a, mm. or a place where they have been not allowed to choose and then they get to grow and find a better role throughout the story. Yeah. But I do have a weakness mm. for careers that people are enjoying at the beginning of the story and yeah. maybe are relevant and they can use their plot relevant skills and you get to see some confidence porn. <laughs> we love some confidence porn. Absolutely. Well, and I think that when you're sitting down as an author trying to figure out the kind of book you want to write, um, it can be interesting to be like, what if I write a magical liaison officer between the UK government and this weird world he didn't know existed? Mm -hmm. That's a cool, weird career. Yes, and it's one without which... <laughs> Someone should write that. <laughs> Someone should write that. Oh, my goodness. But it's one without which the book would not start. Is the career you're creating from whole cloth integral to your book? Because uh, it's sometimes fun when they are. Mm. Because, and I'm going to move us along because we, okay. we, I have a... I have an ambition for this episode. Yes. These two are sitting there with no idea what my ambition is. Oh, so it would be great. Desperately wanting to know about uh, this ambition. I propose, and I want you two to argue with me if you want, that we put these jobs in a book because they're kind of a relatable hook for the audience. Mm -hmm. Like how a TV procedural will put the everyman character in the first episode so you know who to pretend to be in your head. Right. You know? Right. Like, so many people have had customer service jobs. And so, like, if you have your main character have any kind of experience where they have to like deal with snobby customers you're like oh i get it i feel for you i'm yep. immediately on your side yeah it makes them real but it's also um having to do things you don't want to do yep uh, because it's your job i'm reminded of was it two men on a boat with a dog what was the time travel book freya oh, oh, to oh say nothing um, of the dog. it's connie willis there we go to say yes. nothing of the dog. <laughs> Yeah, to say in nothing which Connie dog. Willis's gorgeous book where characters' jobs is to go into the past and find artifacts for this deeply overbearing <laughs> lady who has kind of inserted herself as their boss. Yes, and yep. like the whole to Oxford Time Travel universe is a wonderful mixture of vocation. Like these people are historians. You know, they're doing this because they love it. But in that case, yeah, Ned, who is a historian, who enjoys going back to the past to find things out because that's his job as an academic is having to do this because of this overbearing woman who has browbeaten financially the entire Oxford History Department into becoming her personal <laughs> errand people. <laughs> Which is just such a so charming good. and amazing hook for an audience. Yes. Right? Because we can instantly relate with that yep. nonsense. Mm, and yep. yeah, Absolute if you don't nonsense. do this thing, you won't get paid is one of the most relatable things. Like, yes, we <laughs> need money to exist in the world. Is it necessarily comedic? I feel, because like the heart of comedy, right, is something familiar in a place that it shouldn't be. Right. 
you know, a surprise or a twist or a change. Uh, and I think that, you know, having your boss call you up when you've been kidnapped by the Dragon King and be like, why did you miss work? Are you taking sick days? Yes, like, and knowing that, you, that's that there's no way you can actually explain. You just have to be like, yes, boss. Sorry, boss. <laughs> Sorry, boss. <laughs> yeah. Got kidnapped well, again. I mean, even yeah. like Hench is not a light or book, but it has <laughs> comedic elements to it. And I think the pitch itself makes you smile. You think, yeah. oh, you know, data analysis, temping, but for a supervilla, that's quite funny. And it's because it is that combination of the familiar and the unfamiliar. Right, mm. right. Um, well, I wouldn't, I'll take the, I'll go through these two very briefly then. Um, I wanted to ask, do you think in your experience of speculative media at the moment, is there any pattern that we're seeing in the kind of careers that protagonists have? And I ask this because I think we're going to see a swing away from law enforcement. Ooh, that's a good point. I was just about to say, I think that we're starting to see a lot more books about like the this sort of smaller background characters because for so long we've had um, books about like the chosen one, the person who's like at the very center of the action, right? Um, Miles Vorkosigan, for example, um, is a career unto himself. Uh, <laughs> whereas like there's always all of these like background characters uh, who have rich lives that could be explored. Militariness is not a career, mm. but has for a long time been a protagonist role. Mm -hmm. So you look at how Scalzi started out, you look at the Honor Harrington books, particularly in sci-fi, like Mill SF is a huge thing. But even if we look into like Age of Sail, all of those um, had this almost career progression for military officers because they got to be the closest analogy that we had to heroes. Yes. Right? You have a knight if it's fantasy, but you have a lieutenant mm -hmm. if it's sci-fi. And I think that we are seeing a swing towards scavengers mm -hmm. and blue-collar workers trying to survive away from that military yeah. professional. And the gig economy. Um, well, and the gig economy and like, you know, toss a coin to your witcher. Um, Geralt is not not a knight yeah but like the things that concern him aren't exactly noble right you know he doesn't want a king to sponsor him he'd rather the king's fucked off mm. he just wants enough coppers that he can maybe rent a bed and a bath every now and then rather than sleeping under a fucking yeah. bush and part yeah. of this may just be a symptom of the kind of fantasy and sci-fi that we read because, yes, yes, we don't read a lot of, like, the classic Mill SF. We don't read a huge mm -hmm. amount of very traditional high fantasy where I think, yes, there is a lot of military-adjacent things because mm. that's where the battles happen. And yeah. if you think that a high fantasy book needs to have battles in it, then you have that adjacency to, well, where's the army? Well, here's a question. Um, do we think we read queer a lot deliberately? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if the people who write queer, who mostly are queer, but not all, have a distaste for that shape of authority. That's possible. That is very possible. One of my my favorite high fantasy reads of recent times is one that lets the queers be in that in those mm -hmm. roles, uh, which is Devin mm -hmm. Madsen's series, of which the first one is called We Ride the Storm, mm -hmm. and it was the most traditional high fantasy that I'd read in ages. Uh, and it was just casually um, very queer normative, which was which was Amazing. nice in its own way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I want Macy to Do talk about right. Catalyst very briefly. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, craftspeople. I think that craftspeople are not uncommon in speculative work. Mm. I'm thinking of stuff like Foundryside, mm. which is a little bit more like criminals stealing things, which we stan, but um, is also like inventors inventing things, uh, which we definitely have with the Pratchett books and the Discworld. Mm -hmm. But Catalyst is a book about a young woman who wants to be seen as a skilled blacksmith who invents things and is worthy of respect for what she can make and do. Renaissance Italy doesn't precisely have careers in the same way, you know? Right. And FYI for listeners who may not have been with us for a million years, Catalyst is a wonderful book that Macy wrote. Yes. Yay! Yay! We'll see if it ever makes it into the world! <laughs> but I, I love Question books that have craftspeople or people who have a mm. very sort of maybe you know, doing it with your hands kind of job because it allows you to have, well, here's the thing that they're doing with their life to get money. Here's their career per se. It allows you to have competence porn. Uh, and depending mm -hmm. on the book and the genre, it also allows you to build a magic system around something interesting. It says, well, here's something that you know, like blacksmithing or sewing. Um, and here's how we can overlay the speculative element onto that and make it cool. Yep. And I have to say, I read an amazing fanfic earlier today that I'm not going to be able to look up. So describes, tag me on it. I will find it for you. I'm sorry. That was um, a fanfic about basically a transmigrated, the, the canon was my new life as a villainess or something like that. And it's this nine-year-old girl who was a 25-year-old modern woman reinventing sanitary napkins. Mm. Ooh. Right? Cool. In a medieval world and selling them and doing this, like, all this research into fabrics and hmm. how do you make it so that it doesn't leak yeah. and just all of this stuff as her, like, I'm a tradesperson, I'm going to make this thing and sell it. Yeah. That's yeah. Which cool. I found super mm. fun. Well, that before we move cool. on to the very final fun part of this episode, I wanted to very briefly Aha. circle back to what Macy mentioned near the beginning, which is the idea of take your fandom to work, <laughs> which is... A common phrase in fandom, and there were whole fanfic challenges around this, which could be fandom-specific or non-fandom-specific, and it basically means you write an AU in which the characters of your canon of choice have your job, or at least a job Amazing. at which you know something about. Amazing. And this is a yep. very, very specifically fanfic-type thing. And I really loved it, and I loved it as an opportunity to see the little corners and weird specific details of careers yes, that you would never yes, necessarily yes. think about. And one of the fics that I tried to find for this episode was one about army meteorologists, which was written for the Merlin fandom and sadly does not exist Amazing. online anymore. But it was such a weird career. I'd never thought that the army would have meteorologists, but it does. And it was so detailed and so nitty gritty, but it was the characters from Merlin and it's such a fanfic thing because it means you don't have to invent a plot. You don't have to invent characters. The whole point of it is for you to just cathartically work out your shit about your day yes. job yes. and introduce <laughs> and other snark people about to it. it. <laughs> and then snark, yeah, yeah. So incredible. I might have just got done reading like three hundred thousand words of time travel fix it in which Doctor Strange goes back in time to fix the universe with Tony Stark. Uh huh. Written by someone who is clearly a surgical resident from the like chapters and chapters of Doctor Strange doing neurosurgery. Yes. Incredible. So they've been writing. But I mean, that, <laughs> that's, that's taking advantage of the fact that he is canonically 
a surgeon, yeah. a lot of the take your fandom to work stuff was literally just like, well, here's these characters from Merlin and spin a wheel, spin a wheel, spin a wheel. Now they work. <laughs> throw in, a dart. Ooh, yeah. a news agency. Or, you know, like, so, yeah. That's b- before, before I kidnap this episode, um, fun facts, tech job corner. Um, I go on call for things to do emergency response for big internet breakages. And I used to be on a team where you had to write a handoff at the end of each day to the other shift. And I had some teammates who would write fanfic about themselves ah! solving like an apocalypse ah! in the data center as their handoff. That's, that's so funny. That's like, really zo- cool. Like they were in the data center on their own and a zombie apocalypse was happening outside and they would just start writing like self-insert. That's incredible. That's so funny. <laughs> Macy, will you? Macy, you've promised us a game, and I am absolutely dying of curiosity to. Your audio editor hates you. Are you ready? I'm ready for listeners. Are you ready for terrible radio? Do I need? Fuck you. (laughs) Okay, it looks like the game is going to be Alex attempting to psychically kill Macy long distance. Yes, it is. Do I need dice? Show you guys something. Do I need dice? I have dice here. Oh. No, you don't need dice. You brought us a game, an actual literal board game. It says the story engine. (gasps) I really want the story engine. I've been thinking about This is already bad radio, Macy, because you keep throwing. All right, so this is literally. Macy's bad radio corner where she shows things to the camera and I have to describe what they are so that the scribes can then transcribe me describing what they are. Anyway, dear listeners, uh, darlings, fellow serpents, um, the story engine. Freya, what is the story engine? The story engine is an amazing idea and I desperately want it. It's a, it's a pack of cards, essentially, mm. which allows you to construct story prompts and it has various categories like your types of character um a type of you know inciting event a setting like objects and stuff like that and you can combine them in cool ways uh to create a prompt for a story or to tell you what might happen next i've seen quite a few people now on twitter who've started to use it it looks really fun yeah so i just do this with tarot cards cool though cool yeah 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 there you go i have before me many many cards okay and I am going to draw three anchor cards, which are objects or locations. And you guys can tell me, I can either draw you three normal ones, or we can do three normal and one in, a two normal and one in a genre. We have fantasy, we have horror, and we have sci-fi. Ooh. And you will come up with a career. Okay. Cool. Okay. A weird-ass career. I would like horror. You would like horror. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll see if we have time to do more than one. We'll start with one. Okay. We'll start with one that is in horror. So, and I have got my dice because each of these cards comes with four different words okay. that it could be. So I will roll my d4 so that we can decide which of them we're actually using. So, tell me when to draw. Now. And again. Now. Now. And let me get the other deck, and then we'll find out what we've gotten. While Macy is filling, I will note that we will link to a place where you can buy the story engine, because it is a very, very cool thing for creatives. Okay, somebody say stop. Do the last one from the bottom of the deck. Okay. So, let's see what we have. I need my D4. Describes. This one might go a little bit... um, 
clickety. I'm sorry. There's not why, much I can Why do are you apologizing to the clickety. dear scribes instead of your darling audio editor who suffers so much? Because I can't think of two things at once. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. First card is there. Ooh, these are going to be fun. Um, I have rolled a four, which means... <laughs> okay. Game time. Are we ready? Okay. Your first object is a document. Okay. Your okay. second is a ship. Okay. Okay. And your third from the horror deck is a corpse. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. All right. So this I, career... This... I let Freya play as well. I was the one who requested horror. You wanted a fantasy All one. All right. Well, Macy said <laughs> that right. she wasn't sure. That's right. You got it. You take this one. Macy said she wasn't sure if one. we were going to do more than one. Uh, so you got to pick horror and I'm going to tell you what this career is. All right. So the career is... <laughs> The career is that you are a person who is in charge of checking the ship manifest for a ship that is transporting a bunch of um, people who are in uh, cryo sleep. Okay, I would accept that. That makes sense. Why? Why are you doing this? For the ability to pay bills. <laughs> Well, wait, well, let's say that the what job exists. The jo- I'm going to say that the job exists. I know I like this job. I want to build on it. Okay. okay. So let's say, so this is this is the job. The job exists because this uh, company, which transports people in cryosleep, has had some problems recently with people randomly waking up. Mm. Amazing. And also some problems with people stowing away or trying to hide their relatives in among the cryosleep. So somebody who checks the manifest and compares the number of actually cryosleeping people to what it says it should be officially is, number one, quite important, and number two, ideally placed to stumble upon some plot. Also, I'm going to build on that a little bit more. Um, I think that it's not so much people stowing away. or That happens too, but I think that also, like, mobsters and murderers and people might try to put, like, actual literal corpses on the ship to be, like, taken away, like, so there's no evidence of their crimes. That's another option for what you could do there. Yeah. I like That's that. Cool. Can we do one more really Let's quickly? do another one. Okay. Yeah, this is pretty quick. Okay, what are we doing? Fre- uh, Let's do Freya fantasy for this horror, one. So Alex, want, you want yep. to do fantasy? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right, so this time me... Alex picks. I'll say what the career yep. is. Alex tells us the story. Yep. Um, okay, so rolling. Ooh. Ooh, this one's going to be good. A fantasy. Okay, so. Okay. Reminder that Freya gets to invent the job yes, yes, this yes, time. Yes, yes, <laughs> We have three cards. Your first object slash setting is... A poison. Excellent. Your second is a machine. Okay. And your third from the fantasy deck is a grove. Mmm. All right. Okay. All right. So I think what your job is, is that you are the overseer of a large evil corporation who is chopping down some fantasy forests. Okay. Amazing. But they maybe didn't quite get the uh, right approvals to chop down slash talk to the fairy court who lives in the forest. And so you have a grove created by illegal magical logging. Uh, and that's your machine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think the poison is something that's going to be made by the thing that's being chopped down. Okay. So these are very special plants that can be used to create very rare substances one of which is a poison and you are a logging overseer for a magical evil corporation who is about to come face to face probably with some very angry fairies 
What's the story, Alex? <laughs> That's great. Well, I think it involves um, kissing. I think that you're going to fall in love with these one of these angry fairies. So what I'm seeing is that what, what I'm seeing... What I'm picturing, you're this overseer of this this fantasy logging corporation, right? or this uh, fantasy logging team. You're probably not the overseer of the whole corporation. You're like out in the field, right? That's what you meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're like wearing the hard hat, wearing the hard hat, harvesting this poison from exactly, the exactly. Yeah. So like, you don't really know what people need these these trees for. You're just really trying to do do your job. And then one day, a bunch of these fairy protesters come along and like chain themselves to the trees, and they're they you think that they're hippies. <laughs> at first but it turns out that they are literal fairies uh and uh they explain to you the terrible thing that you're doing and you eventually become the man on the inside who like tears down this evil corporation and like saves the rainforest and uh oh God, it's like falls an environmentalism in love corporate espionage book. with kissing with kissing yes kissing, because i like kissing and i think there should be more kissing in books that is fair yeah Okay, well, there you go, dear listeners. There's two <laughs> ones from just some random drawers. And that's the kind of fun you can have with the story yes. engine. <laughs> and that two nerds. And two, three nerds, really. Macy, two don't... Two nerds who enjoy kissing I, the one, The one drawing the cards, it's non-mandatory that they're a nerd. Well, okay, it was your idea to draw cards in the first place and you own okay. dice. <laughs> Um, yeah, the one who owns the, the story engine. Own the de- you're not you wrong. own the deck and you had dice on hand. You're a nerd. I had so many dice on hand. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Speaking of the crushing grind of capitalist hellscape, Sometimes it's not so bad. Uh, The best day job I've ever had was at a local yarn store, uh, but I was laid off when the pandemic hit. Even though it was a customer service job working retail, I do really miss it sometimes, and the reason why had a lot to do with what we were talking about in this episode. They valued creativity, they supported our continuing education about fiber crafts, they paid us well, uh, and our managers always took our side on the rare occasion that a customer got bitchy. Uh, But that almost never happened because it was a yarn store and everybody is just over the moon with delight when they get to go to a yarn store. Uh, But we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on June 2nd, and yes, I did check that date twice because what the fuck, June? Who gave it permission to be June already? What? Anyway, the topic of that episode is going to be games. You know, games like chess. Or Go. Actually, speaking of Go, if you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is Hikaru no Go, but not the anime, the live-action Chinese drama that came out last year. So if you have a friend who's into games or beautiful perfect boys in beautiful perfect eyeshadow, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations... Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com or at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, I have your annual performance review here, and it says you're incredible. Zero complaints. You got full marks, and the boss wants to give you a raise. Nice work.